0: Snacks stabbed with a toothpick, cider straight from the barrel, and the highest concentration of Michelin-starred restaurants in the world. This week, we're in San Sebastian, Spain. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore a different foodie city and talk about the great dishes and drinks to try there. This week, we're in Basque Country in Spain and San Sebastian. San Sebastian is one of the foodie capitals of not only Spain, but also the world. Per capita, there's more Michelin-starred restaurants in San Sebastian than anywhere else in the entire world. And we'll talk about some of those high-end restaurants in San Sebastian, but we'll also talk about locals' food. We'll talk about the pinchos, the little tapas-like dishes that you have in San Sebastian, creamy teloso beans, a local dish called chocoli, and we'll drink cider from the barrel. But first, let me talk a little bit about the podcast because we're in very strange times right now. The coronavirus is affecting just about everybody's life. And many of us are cooped up in our homes and our apartments without a lot of things to do. And some folks have asked me if I'm intending on doing the podcast since most of us can't travel anywhere, really. Uh, We're not getting on airplanes much. We're not flying to Europe. We're not flying to faraway countries. What use is the Destination Eat Drink podcast? Well, I am gonna continue to do the podcast, and here's why. First of all, I think it provides an important escape for people. You can find news about the coronavirus anywhere. Turn on your TV, turn on the radio, flip open your phone, uh, scroll through, and it's all coronavirus all the time, 24-7. Destination Eat Drink isn't about the coronavirus. It's about the love of travel, and I think people need that, In a time like this, secondly, this podcast is being discovered by new people all the time. In other words, I have podcasts that I've done for Destination Eat Drink a year ago, a year and a half ago, that people are still downloading. So after I finish the San Sebastian podcast, a lot of people download it immediately, but weeks from now, months from now, maybe even years from now, people will be downloading San Sebastian on Destination Eat Drink. And the coronavirus, hopefully by then, will just be a memory of a short bad time that we had. So there are people who will be discovering Destination Eat Drink and who will be interested in San Sebastian long after coronavirus has faded. And lastly, I think one of the reasons that I enjoy travel so much is the planning aspect. For example, if I'm going away for a week or two weeks or even a month, I might spend several times that amount just planning the trip, where I want to go, where I want to eat, maybe trying to connect with some locals beforehand. The planning part is is almost as fun as the actual execution part. And I think the Destination e Drink podcast provides part of that joy of the planning of the trip. So if you're just uh, listening for an escape, if you're just listening to do something besides think about what's going on in your head or on the news, or if you're thinking about maybe sometime when this whole thing passes, going to San Sebastian, then this is the podcast for you. And don't forget, if you enjoy it, please also subscribe to Destination Eat Drink. I do a new episode each Friday, and... You can get it delivered directly to your phone, to your tablet, to your personal computer just by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple or Google or Stitcher or Spotify or at radiomisfits.com. Subscribe and you'll get it delivered automatically. So this week we're in San Sebastian, Spain, and shortly I'll be talking to Anya from Devour Tours. Quick note about Devour Tours. They are one of my all-time favorite food tour companies. I've gone on their tours. I've interviewed people from their company on this podcast. They do foodie tours in many different cities, and you can check them out at uh, devourtours.com. But because of the coronavirus, they have suspended the tours. Now, I talked to Anya before this happened, so we are talking at a time before coronavirus was an issue, but as of today, as of the time that I am recording this, Devour Tours has suspended their tours until at least the beginning of May, and they'll reassess and maybe they'll start doing tours after that, or maybe you know, this thing drags on longer than that. No, no one knows at this point. Anya herself, she's a very interesting person. She originally came from Gdansk, Poland. And if you don't know about Gdansk, Gdansk is where the whole Solidarity movement and Wałęsa took birth on the docks of the uh, shipping port in Gdansk and what eventually led to the downfall of communism in Poland. That's where Anya's from. She went to Spain to become a gourmet chef, which she did for quite a while. Now she is a tour guide for Devour Tours, and she shares her incredible knowledge and joy of the food of the Basque Country of San Sebastian when we spoke about that on the podcast. And just thinking about it is making me starving for some pinchos and some peppers and all kinds of wonderful Basque food. So let's eat in san sebastian spain destination eat drink anya you live in san sebastian spain and i think for most americans they may have heard of san sebastian but they might not know exactly where it is and they probably don't know about the basque people who live in san sebastian who are the basque people and How is the Basque culture distinct from Spain and maybe the French culture that's so close by?
1: When we talk about Basque country, we talk about cultural region. Um, So we've got actually we cover seven provinces that include three provinces on the French side and four provinces on the Spanish side. When you zoom out from the city, you will see we've got mountains on one hand side and the other hand side is a Biscay Bay that is a part of the Cantabrian Sea. Um, and then part of the Atlantic Ocean. So these people have been living here kind of separ- in, in kind of a separation from the rest of Europe, and they were here way before everybody else arrived. So they were here before the Spanish. So Basque people have been living here since the caveman time, and they also use another language that is called Euskera, and this is what connects them between the French and the Spanish villages. So Basque people they're very different to Spaniards. I'd say, uh, if we have to compare people from the south, from Andalusia, which is much more sunny and um, they're much more open than here in the north, I would say they kind of reserved. They are not uh, jumping straight into your arms when they see you. <laughs> uh, you really still need to win them over. I always love when I say that the people from the south are like peaches. So the first layer is really soft, but then you get to a little stone. <laughs> um, yeah, that is really hard to break. And here in the north, we call them coconuts. The first layer is really hard. So you really need to work on it. But once you're in, you're swimming in a sweet juice. So this is how I would describe the Basque people.
0: That's that's such an interesting description, Anya. Is Do people actually say that, that the people from the south are like peaches and from the north are like coconuts? Or is this something you just made up? No,
1: this I, I, I came up with this. But we, we always say that, yeah, the, the the first layer here is really, really hard. Okay, so. So it's not a saying we have here, um, but we very often use it.
0: And you mentioned the Basque language, which is really interesting because, you know, when we were in Madrid, there's a Basque population there and it, it seems so different than Spanish or French. Are there a lot of people who still speak the Basque as their primary language in Basque country?
1: Yes, um, Basque language, this first thing to understand is one of the oldest spoken languages in the world and we have no ideas where is it coming from because... We believe the cavemen used to speak it. That's really long time ago in Paleolithic times. So it's really hard to find, you know, any any um, evidence of that. Um, but it has nothing to do with Latin. So Spanish has nothing to do with Basque. Right now we've got around 35 percent of the whole population speaking it. This is just because we had the dictatorship of Franco here in Spain that didn't want Basques or Catalans to use their own languages and dialects. Right. right, right. Um, so during this time of 35 years, more or less, a lot of people stopped using it. It was completely forbidden to use the language publicly. That's why it's only 35%. But what is happening right now? At schools, you have to learn Basque. And you've got three different models. And in the first one, kids learn Spanish. Everything They do everything in Spanish and they have a couple of hours of, uh, of Basque a week. Then we have a model that is in between. So you do half and half. And the last more than 75% of young people and kids are choosing right now means everything in Basque. And you just have a couple of hours of Spanish. And you learn Spanish on the streets anyway and from the TV. But at school, Basque is coming back. It's still official language here. So you have to use it. You have to speak it if you want to uh, work in the public sector.
0: And it sounds like from what you're saying, Anya, that the Basque language and therefore the Basque culture is growing because more students are embracing it so as years go by and these young people grow up we'll we'll see more of the Basque culture starting to reassert itself let's talk about uh, devour tours because you work for devour tours you're a guide in san sebastian and devour one of my favorite tour companies advocates responsible travel what exactly does responsible travel mean
1: well obviously it's to find the Good balance between um, the local community, the visitors, and the local companies. Um, what we what we've been talking lately a lot, especially in Barcelona, is like um, the gentrification because of tourism. So this is something we are working here. Where San Sebastian becoming very popular in the last years, not to happen. What we don't want, we don't want the neighborhoods to disappear. For example, now we have an old part of San Sebastian that is very famous and everybody would like to visit it. But that means that if we substitute the local businesses only with restaurants and only with ho- and the and the houses with hotels, this is going to lose completely its own authenticity. authenticity. So this is something um, we would like to embrace here in San Sebastian, like try to take people not only to the places that are the most visited, but also take them out and show them what is the whole Basque country, what is the whole idea of living here, not only in San Sebastian, but in the local villages, for example. So this is for me to be responsible, to think how to not to stick only to one place, to one bar, take people to the other places, show them the real life in Basque country.
0: This is what I like about Devour Tours, because I've been on other tours where they basically just take you to the hottest tourist places and the tourist, the tourist traps, in essence. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to neighborhood places and real family-run places, which makes it interesting. Let's let's talk about the food because that's why yeah. we're here. Let's talk about the food of San Sebastian. Um, I think the first thing we should talk about is uh, pinchos, and. First of all, tell us, what are pinchos when we come to San Sebastian?
1: Yeah, exactly. So everybody, when they think about Spain, they think of tapas. Yes. But here in our tiny part of, in Basque country, we have something that we call pinchos. Although the idea is quite similar, there are different ways of practicing pinchos. So pincho is like, a, well, one of my customers said once, they're like uh, pieces of heaven on, 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 the, on the plate. So, uh, <laughs> so this is how I see pinchos. There are tiny uh, finger foods, snacks that we have between the meals. So this is something what keep, keeps us going for all day long. Um, we like to eat a lot. So we eat constantly, and we talk in Basque country about food all the time. Breakfast we talk <laughs> about, lunch lunch we talk about, dinner dinner we talk about, breakfast etc. <laughs> And Good. in between the in between the lines, we've got uh, pinchos. So pinchos were invented in the forties in the center of San Sebastian. And the first pincho was on the toothpick, and it's actually became very famous. It's called La Gilda from the um, from the movie that was called Gilda of Rita Hayworths back in the forties.
0: Oh yeah, Gilda. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah.
1: So that's the little one. Uh, it actually has um, a little pickled peppers that grow only here called piparras in Basque language or guindillas in spanish then we've got olives and also brown anchovy so aged anchovy in salt so this was the first one and pinchar actually comes from the spanish language pinchar is, pinchar is to pierce basically the toothpick goes through all these foods this why we started calling pincho and that was translated to pinchos right now i would say that it's changing a lot so we don't have only foods on the pieces of bread we don't have only foods with a toothpick in it we also have small little lovely dishes that we call like cuisine in miniature so they were kind of brought uh, from fancy restaurant michelin restaurants to the normal people and we can also enjoy them in local bars
0: so what are some of the – it sounds like pinchos has become much more than olives and anchovies on a plate. Describe some of the different pinchos, maybe some of your favorites that we can get in San Sebastian.
1: Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to do is like to differentiate two different kinds of pinchos. So we have cold pinchos that you can find on the counter on every bar, and then you've got hot pinchos. My still favorite pincho is the first one. The cold. <laughs> so I'm, I, yeah, I'm really bueno, – well, the, the first one in, ever invented, La Gilda. So this is still my favorite pinch. It gives me like a little kick in the afternoon. It's quite sour. It's very piquant and has this like uh, flavor of the ocean. Um, so this is still my number one. But there are so many. We've got beef cheeks cooked for a really long time um, in red wine, for example. And they're coming like either with um, potato puree or they come with uh, some other vegetables puree. And you have shrimp skewers that are fantastic. Um, one of my favorites too. Mm, there are mussels. It can be actually anything, anything. And there are so many that I cannot choose one. Okay. Every time I go to a restaurant, I'm like, oh my God, maybe that's, that's my favorite one. And then I go to the next one. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the favorite one. So it depends where you are. There's so many good foods here.
0: Well, just tell us one or two of your favorite places to go and maybe what we would get there.
1: All right, so um, we have a couple of uh, tours right now in San Sebastian. So the first one is in the old part of San Sebastian. It's still the most important gastronomically area here in in the city. And in a very tiny uh, space, only 2.5 square kilometers, we fitted 231 bars.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, I know, a lot. That's why it's so hard to choose, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) In the old part of San Sebastian, I really love Chepecha. Chapecha is a bar that specializes in anchovies. I know many Americans are pretty funny about these fish, but we try to convince yeah. them. And I've seen many miracles
0: so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anchovies. Anchovies have not had a great reputation yeah. in the U.S. just because so, of the way that they're packaged and served here. But it's a totally different thing when you go to Basque Country or you go to Sicily or somewhere like that. Yeah, Lisbon.
1: absolutely. I mean, the bar we are going to, Chapecha, I'm talking right now, it's like the first generation of 120 years as well. So they do home marinate their anchovies. It's a completely different story and they're really high quality. In 2012, there were the locals producers that got together and they said, let's fight for the good name of the anchovies because... It's something really exceptional here in the Cantabrian Sea. The product is really high quality. We can fish them only in May and June, more or less. So they are at their best. So um, when you look at the anchovy, it's not longer a small, smelly fish. It's actually a wonderful, meaty, buttery thing that's, Tastes fantastically. Depends how you prepare it. So Chepecha would be one of my choices for sure. Um, also from the kind of a modern approach, I would say Bordaberry, run by a couple. Uh, Lucia is in the in the bar taking the orders, and in the kitchen is her uh, boyfriend Mark. So um, this this way they they work just two of them and a couple of boys who are helping them. Always packed, uh, fantastic dishes. They still use local and seasonal product. But the cooking techniques are different. They've got different ideas. They maybe add, like, some cinnamon suddenly to, to their dish. Um, mm. So one of my favorites there is, would be the ke- kebab, which is uh, a rip. So it's, like, cooked for many hours with a little bit of cinnamon and apple uh, puree. Fantastic. And maybe the third one, Paco Bueno, very traditional. Uh, Caye Mayor in the old part of San Sebastian. They specialize in um, prawns in coat we say. So it's like a dough, salty dough, uh with prawns inside and it's deep fried and it's served on a toothpick, so like a typical pincho. It's one of the bars that you enter after the rush hour it's almost impossible because there is so much litter on the floor. Uh, you know, the Spanish way of uh, throwing things on the floor. So it's one of these bars and they pour cider and it's full of locals. Fantastic place.
0: Let's talk about how you actually do a pincho when you're in San Sebastian, because we were just in Madrid and the thing about Madrid is you, you kind of bar hop, you go from place to place and try the specialty of that bar Um, in the different places you go. And you might visit five, six places in one evening. Do you go to different places when you get your pincho or do you just go into one place and order several different things?
1: All right. So, um, yes, it really depends on the city, uh, how you do tapas, okay? But if it comes to pinchos, uh, we have it very clear what to do and what not to do. Okay, good. So, (laughs) first of all, pinchos, um, as I told you, they're just preludes to your meal. Uh, lunch or dinner, especially visible uh, on the weekends when people got more time so they can enjoy a couple of pinchos and a couple of glasses of wine or cider before sitting down. We don't do pinchos to fill up. So pinchos not supposed to substitute the meal. Okay. Um, they're more something nice you have before lunch, like aperitif. Um, we always do the bar hopping. Is a part of a chiquiteo, so basically going for pinchos. You go for the specialities. So you go from bar to bar to look for the specialities, and maybe it's gonna surprise you, but the average time that we calculated a Basque person spends in the time ta- in the bar at once it's seven minutes. So oh wow, yeah, you can imagine <laughs> it goes quickly. We like to move. We like to walk. We love to stand. Basically, pinchos are just excuse to socialize, but we love them. We love eating. So we would do that. So you go to the bar. You usually go for your favorite pinchos from the counter, or you order something that is prepared in the moment from the kitchen. Uh, you have your drink. You talk with your friends. Then you pay. It's an honor system. So they're going to ask you, what did you have? And you tell them, well, I have this one and the other one. And if you forget one, they're going to remind you. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. They've got like 70 taps in their heads, and they, they know exactly what you had. And then you go and move to another bar. So this is the way of doing pinchos time to time. Um, we will forget that we have a dinner and we just stay in the bars because we are very happy. But pinchos like, shouldn't Anya. be that. You like that?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it happens time to time, okay? but Usually we use them as aperitifs. Pinchos are not served at home. We don't do pinchos at home. Pinchos is something you go out.
0: I was reading about San Sebastian, and I read about something, and you can tell me about this, called uh, Tolosa beans. Am I pronouncing yeah. that correctly? There tell me about Tolosa beans, because it sounds really good.
1: Tolosa beans. I even wrote an article about them for the ball, I remember for our blog. <laughs> um, we'll, put a,
0: we'll put a link to your article in the show notes here so that <laughs> other folks can read it.
1: Of course. I, I'm sure people are dying to learn about beans, you know? <laughs> Uh, this is a special thing. Right? Tolosa is a village, um, 20 minutes max, 25, by car from San Sebastian. You can also take a train. It's a very interesting village, beautifully set between mountains, with a river, um, very nice old town. They're really famous for their Saturday market, but also for the Tolosa beans, which are like black beans with this little white eye. Um, they're extremely creamy. We prepare a dish, it's called alubias de tolosa, basically. So they are just cooked in water with a little bit of olive oil and a pinch of salt, that's it. And they are served either with um, green peppers, the ones I've already mentioned, um, pickled peppers that grow on in Basque Country, and maybe we say sometimes with sacramentos, so there will be a little bit of a black sausage, for example, or cooked chorizo, and cabbage. Okay. But you can also do them without anything. What is the secret of cooking them? Basically, you cannot stir them. So it takes really long time. We like to do things here poliki poliki. So little, very little. It takes time, but it's needed to achieve the best results. And if it comes to the beans, uh, it's cooking for a really long time, moving with your hands the whole pot. So they're not going to break. And they're going to keep all the criminals, all the stretch inside them. Also, we're so crazy about the beans that we organize a bean festival every year in Tolosa.
0: Love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have to come. It's incredible. Like, for a week time, people are betting who's going to have the best bean this year. You've got, like, massive pots on the streets where you can try different beans of different producers uh, from Tolosa. Um, so, it's an incredible time. Like, you um, well, a celebration of food, local, seasonal, and the highest quality.
0: Would we get Toloso beans in a restaurant as a side dish? How would we see this um, in San Sebastian?
1: As I said, we always have to think of the season because we eat seasonally here. Um, so Tolosa beans are um, showing up on the menus um, starting, let's say, from the end of October for the whole winter time. Um, we, you can have them in the restaurants um, as a starter, right? A, a dish of beans for me is just enough, but after that comes the second, uh, second course as well, and then the dessert. Um, you can have beans in the farmhouses, like uh, restaurants located out of San Sebastian as well, which would be the typical way of doing them. So going to a, like a, a restaurant that's located somewhere on the top of the hill, and they have their own Tolosa beans, and they prepare them in the set menu, fixed menu. And these menus are starting from like 12 euros, 12 wow. euros, yeah, up to maybe 18 maximum. So you have the typical local farmers' food.
0: Let's talk about sweets. Uh, what What are desserts like in San Sebastian?
1: <sighs> well, you see, I don't know if you're going to be happy about my answer because we are we don't really have sweet tooth here. Oh. Yeah, we are more into cheese after the meal. Um,
0: okay, well, let's talk about cheese then, because <laughs> I love cheese. <laughs> you so. love cheese and sweets. <laughs> I love cheese and sweets, so you can make me happy either okay, way. I'll tell
1: you both. So um, the most common dish that you could have here, like uh, sweet after a meal, is pancineta. So pancineta is the spaff pastry with almonds on the top and, and um, vanilla custard inside That it's served warm. Okay? So that would be the typical. Uh, You can buy it in a pastry shop or you can order it after your meal. But the typical thing here is to have some um, cheese. And the most important cheese produced here in Basque Country is called Idiazabal. Unpasteurized sheep milk cheese. Oh, good. (laughs) The sheep is called Lacha. So they look a little bit like merinos, very long hair. We don't use them for meat. They're used just for milk. And preparation of different cheese. You can have semi-cured or, uh, or cured cheeses. Uh, some of them are smoked also. So that would be served um, like some cheese. And then you would have some quince jelly as well. And walnuts.
0: Oh, Good. Yes, Nuts, good. <laughs> cheese, and quince jelly. You know, this would make me think of having a picnic somewhere in San Sebastian. Is there a place I can go, maybe a, a little grocery or a little market that I can go and get all these ingredients? And then where would I enjoy a little picnic lunch outside in San Sebastian?
1: Well, it's a great idea. We love to do it. We have two markets in San Sebastian. One is located in the old part of the city. It's called La Brecha. There are local farmers who are coming um, every day, except of Sunday. And from 8 till 2 p.m., they're serving, well, they're selling their uh, specialties, uh, whatever it is. It can be tolos Sabins also, it can be some cheese, it can be some vegetables, fruits. And also we have a part where you can buy some meat, ham, uh, cheese, um, and other stuff. Another market is in the center of San Sebastian, it's called San Martin. Is, is very elegant. It's slightly more expensive than the other one, uh, but same delicious. It's a fish, meat, and vegetable market. So um, the best thing would be to choose some of the gourmet products uh, from Spanish or French bus country, and then wrap them up together and go probably to one of the beaches. I think this is the most beautiful place to have your little picnic.
0: Oh, sounds great. Yeah, because San Sebastian's right on the water. What, what's the best beach to go to for a picnic?
1: Oh, my God. They're all wonderful. I've uh, got three beaches here. The most famous one and uh, voted uh, every year the best one, the best urban beach in Europe is La Concha, beautifully shaped with the views to our little um, island, uh, Santa Clara, and also both hills on the side, Monte Igueldo and Urgul. Um, so that's more quiet beach, um, no waves, And then we have another one that is on the other side of the bridge, of the river, uh, in the neighborhood called Gros. Um, This one is a surfer's beach. So if you are looking for some action while you are eating your cheese, you can go there. (laughs) Okay, so you can watch the surfers. Um, In the end of this uh, beach, there is something that we call El Muro. So it's like a wall where people gather for the uh, sunset. Um you can grab you can bring your own wine, your glasses or some beers. You can sit down there and eat your little picnic.
0: That is a perfect idea. We're talking with Anya at Devour Tours in San Sebastian. Anya, San Sebastian's become famous in the last several years because of their high-end Michelin star famous haute cuisine restaurants. If we're going to splurge some money, we're going to spend a lot of euros, where's the best place for us to go for a fancy dinner in San Sebastian?
1: Yeah, Brent, you're totally right. Um, It's incredible, but we have 18 Michelin stars within a 25-kilometer radius. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, I know. It's like the highest concentration in the world, I think. Um, That's a lot. We've got three – sorry, four – Three Michelin star restaurants, um, which three kind of belong here to Bipusqua and the other one um, to Biscaya. And we've got four restaurants in 30 best in the world. So, again, crazy. So, if you want to spend all this money, like, um, it's hard to choose. Um, I'll tell you my, my, my options. We have, obviously, really important for us, for our diet is seafood. So, we've got El Cano restaurant located in Getaria, a little village of Getaria. It's really famous for a local wine as well, called Chacolí. Um, so El Cano is on the 30th in the best in the world. But it's um, Aitor Arregi is the chef. Um, it's a family-run restaurant, and they specialize in grilled fish, turbot, Sibrim. And they can. There are so many texture of one fish. They you eat every single part of it, and they're gonna explain you very well how to do it. Uh, so, this is one of my, my choices. Uh, it's a one Michelin star restaurant. Mm, there is another one that's constantly, consequently, and the last years is showing up in the best ones in the world. This year is seven. And it's called Mugaritz. It's a two Michelin star restaurant, Granban Aldoñi Aduric. And it's very innovative approach to food. Um, innovative creations to challenge diners. And um, you, Love it or hate it, but it's definitely, <laughs> yeah. And an, an experience. Um, also, we've got Asador Echevarri. This is something incredible. This is one of my favorite places. Uh, it's just one Michelin star, but it's um, so different to the other ones because it's it's a grill. Victor, uh, the chef there, Argunin Sonitz. It's super talented. He does most of his dishes on the uh, grill. Since so he uses different kinds of charcoal different range of charcoal to prepare his foods, even the desserts. So all of them will got slightly smoky flavor and aroma. So this would be my favorite ones. But also they will got the three Michelin star restaurants I cannot choose. They're exceptional. So um, have a look, read a little bit about them before going, because just to cater to your to your choices, to, to your preferences. Um, it's really important as well to check out what is the menu, what is the tasting menu in that given moment, because maybe this time on the tasting menu, is not going to be something you're really crazy about. So maybe it's good to, instead of Echebari, to go to El Cano, to go to Arsac, or to go to Akellare uh, of
0: Pedro Subijana And save up your euros. Yes. Because <laughs> it's a little expensive. No. no. But <laughs> it's super high quality, high quality food. Anya, you mentioned uh, Chocoli, which is the local wine. Describe Chocoli. What's it like? What's the flavor like? And where do we get it?
1: Well, Chakoli is our champagne, basically. Champagne of Basque country. One of the most important drinks, uh, alcoholic drinks, uh, same as cider. Um, we've got four provinces, uh, four different um, regions that produce cider. Uh, sorry, Chakoli in Basque country. Well, no, three in Basque country and one in Burgos and these are the only places in the world where you can find it so it's really interesting to try it I don't i'm not gonna say it's not a fancy wine it's not a fancy wine although it's been becoming better and better every year in the 80s it almost disappeared um, it was like locally produced drink and very often the farmers did it for their own consumption so just for themselves okay i'd say it's wine um that was Well, the wine was brought to Spain by Romans. And um, here we first time I think heard about Chacolí from from the books from 15th century. It's really a high acidity wine, uh, white wine, slightly sparkling. It's very crisp. It's young. It never gets into the barrel. We don't age it. It's very refreshing. It has slightly salty mineral aftertaste as well. So it's perfect with something with fatty foods like, uh, for example, jamon, Spanish jamon or um, anything. But we very often also it with fish. Typical mix. Fish and chakoli. I never I never um, recommend to drink chakoli on its own. Um, the little bubbles, even though it doesn't have really high alcohol content, only usually around 11 Percent ten point five, but um, these little bubbles—they mm, are bastards. <laughs> they can get into your head and make you go crazy. So <laughs> my recommendation: have a drink, just one, to refresh yourself, and then have a bite. Okay. Beware um, the chocolate. Yes, yeah, chocolate. And chocolate is made of the grapes that are called Onda Ribi the Ribi, ribi Belza. So basically, Onda Ribi grape. And all that it be black grapes, a local variety. We, we grow them in a very interesting way as well with really high humidity next to the soil here. They are grown on the slopes of the local hills uh, overlooking the ocean. Uh, that's why the mineral aftertaste, because they get get it together with the wind and it gets thick to, to, the, um, to the skins of the grapes. We grow them high. I mean, the vines are grown high and then we spread the branches on the wires. So you can walk underneath. It looks really impressive.
0: So it's a high canopy grade. Yes. So um, you mentioned the cider, and cider is really important as far as San Sebastian goes. What kind of cider would we get in San Sebastian?
1: Well, it's probably not the cider you think of because it's a a hard apple cider that is completely flat, uh, very high acidity. It's very dry. It's cloudy, unfiltered. And has really high content of vitamin C. That's the good uh, (laughs) thing about it. It's good for you. (laughs) It's very good for you. Um, I always love, like, with, uh, with my, with my guests, I explain them about cider. They're usually surprised by the flavors. They say, like, it's like, it's like kombucha little bit
0: okay fermented of fermentation.
1: yes it's yeah. the fermentation it's a very old-fashioned way of fermenting it we just basically pick up the apples more or less in November and uh, we press them and then give them month month and a half uh, to ferment and um, and then it's something that's really interesting um, it's the opening of the chot season Chot season is the opening of the cider season it usually happens around 15th of January every year and it lasts three three and a half months. So this is the time when all the locals and their families and their friends, they go to one of the cider houses located here in the area. We've got around 80 of them. And they go to enjoy a local one well, dinner and try cider straight from the wooden barrels.
0: So you've got cider houses. They also serve food. They're, they're restaurants as well. Interesting. Where would be a good cider house that you might go-to, Anya, or that you would recommend for guests?
1: They're not really restaurants, I just have to say. Not really restaurants, you know how it works? Oh, okay. They have a set menu, so you don't really choose anything. You enter and they serve you what they have. Okay. And it's usually the same, okay? It's really, in- like, you get, like, a chorizo cooked insider, then you have a salt-caught omelette, like a tortilla, but without potatoes, with salt-caught instead. Then you have salt-caught with peppers. Then you have the rib, a bon steak, and then you have the cheese, walnuts and quince jelly that we already mentioned and unlimited cider in the menu okay so um it's one of the best experiences if um if you're interested you can check also our uh, our youtube channel uh, james uh, one of the founders of the company explains exactly how to do it because there are ways of doing it uh, right because it's put straight from the massive barrel to your glass and you are standing more or less two meters away from the little hole and you have to catch this cider, you know? And you never pull more than two fingers. It's supposed to be a shot because we drink it when it's still aerated with the bubbles in it. So one of my favorite places to go here, it's, it's the village. And that is called Astigarraga o Ernani. Uh, 10 minutes drive from San Sebastian. Well, it's good to take a taxi back, <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously. Um, they have plenty of cider houses. Uh, one of my favorite ones is in an Ernani, uh, run by three young sisters. It's called Zelaya. It's a traditional cider house. That means it opens just um, the doors to the, to the diners during uh, the cider season. You eat standing. A part of local um, culture as well um, and you do cider in a very traditional way they still have this little uh, toothpick that that closes I mean taps the the little hole that they make in the wooden barrel
0: so they just stick it back in there to stop exactly. the cider from coming out yes oh very cute <laughs> and if I wanted some so we got cider we've got chocoli yeah. what about if I wanted some red wine
1: no problem in san sebastian everything is possible <laughs> <laughs> so um part of well i'm sure you've heard of rioja and many people have heard of rioja because this is our most famous wine region in spain
0: sure
1: Basque country the southern part of it the southern tip actually becomes to rioja the wine region of rioja so we call it the rioja alavesa Alava. Is the part of Basque Country that's going to have some wines. Um, we have later on Rioja Alta and Rioja Baja. Okay, so like three different uh, regions. Traditional wine. Again, the most important grape for us here in Spain is definitely Tempranillo. Uh, so this is what is cultivated in uh, La Rioja. I always say like, go to Rioja. Every single house there is a bodega. It looks incredible. You're going to be able to try some fantastic wines. Um, They've got over 90 points for really decent prices. And it's a cultural, historic, and culinary adventure. In La Rioja, we produce four different kinds of wines. So um, to get the label Rioja, because Rioja is a brand on its own, you need to fit the restrictions. Uh, We've got young wine that never gets into the barrel. You have to drink it within one year. We've got Crianza. The most common one you're going to find in the bars here. This is one year in the barrel and one year in the bottle. Then we've got Reserva. One year in the barrel and at least two years in the bottle. And then Gran Reserva. This one's going to take two years in the barrel and at least three in the bottle. So you've got different kinds. Depends what you are drinking your wine with, obviously. But as I'm saying, if you're going to go to the bars of San Sebastian... And in Spain in general, we don't really have the culture like France. In France, it's we they prioritize probably the wine. Here we prioritize the food. So in the bars, you very <laughs> often buy the glass. You're going to get either the young wine or crianza, which is thick kind of young. Very nice quality, but we're not going to be too fancy and we're not going to be too too fussy asking for like uh, a reserva here. When we sit down for dinner, yes.
0: Anya, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the different neighborhoods that San Sebastian is doing a good job of preserving. If we want to get out of the historical center of San Sebastian, where are some of the neighborhoods where we as visitors should go to experience local culture in San Sebastian? Mm
1: -hmm. So I designed a tour last year in the center of the city this is where the locals got, this is the, where the life is. For us, the old part of San Sebastian is more of the weekend thing or special celebrations. If you want to see locals, if you want to see some places that are, they also have got fantastic food, there are some great restaurants and bars, you definitely should focus on the center of San Sebastian, so basically centro, and also gross neighborhood. So this is across the river uh, where you find a lot of Modern restaurants, but also old-fashioned ones, and it's a very, very authentic, very local feeling in of them. And both of them are just five minutes walk from the old part of the city.
0: This really makes me want to come and visit San Sebastian even more. So, I mean, I read the history of Basque country years ago, and San Sebastian's been on my list since then. And gosh, I don't know why I haven't got there yet, but we're gonna make it to San Sebastian. Yeah, it's such. It sounds like such a wonderful place, Anya. If folks want to take a tour with you and Devour Tours, give them the uh, website and how they can uh, reserve a spot on a Devour tour in San Sebastian.
1: So basically, they just have to visit the Devour San Sebastian Food Tours. Uh, or okay, just go straight to Devour. Tours um, website and choose the city they are interested in. Um, we do two different tours right now, so it's the old part of San Sebastian and the center of San Sebastian. All of them are really great for food, family run places, a lot of history. It's going to give you a great um, start to your trip to San Sebastian Basque Country just to get an idea how to behave here, how to venture the bars on your own. So please check it out. Check our blog as well. A lot of useful information about the region, food, what to do, what we are celebrating right now. What is the season for? And uh, also our YouTube channel where you can find some more information, even um, how to do things, how to visit Cider House, what to do in San Sebastian when it's raining, etc. cetera.
0: <laughs> okay. Anya from Devour Tours, thank you so much for being on the program. We look forward to seeing you in San Sebastian, Spain.
1: Thank you very much, Brent. It was great talking to you. And I hope I see you soon.
0: You know, a picnic on the beach at the Atlantic Ocean In San Sebastian, watching the surfers, I can't think of a better way to spend an afternoon in Spain than that. Reminds me of the time we spent in Hawaii. Oh, Thanks, Anya. That was just so enlightening and so fun. And I've wanted to go to San Sebastian for so long. And there is going to be a day when I finally get out there. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Destination Eat Drink. While you're waiting for next week's episode to drop, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. I've got over 40 foodie city guides listed there. And lately, I've been doing a lot of blog entries, shorter entries about specific topics. So you can check out what I did this week. I wrote an article about... Hawaii's love affair with spam. I wrote an article about uh, something called corn smut, which is a delicacy in Mexico. And I wrote a very popular article about the best places to get a Guinness in Dublin. I guess a lot of people are trying to live vicariously as they're shut in their homes right now with uh, cold Guinness in Dublin, Ireland. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. Next week, we will be in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Red chilies, green chilies, Christmas, (laughs) Frio, and chili in a bag. We've got it all next week and lots of craft beer on Destination Eat Drink. Don't miss that. I am Brent Peterson, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.